Hello and welcome to another episode of ESPN Scrum Reset. I'm your host, Brittany Mitchell, back again for another week of chatting all things rugby. And like usual, we are joined by Christy Doran. Christy, how are you going? How was uh, the trip down south to Tassie? Oh, isn't Tassie glorious? There was one punter that reached out on Twitter to inform me about Luke Burgess being down there. Good shout from you, Lockie, last week. But Tassie's great. Clean air, beautiful waters, good food. Love it. Probably didn't quite get to let my hair down, which Lockie asked, had I been doing before we jumped on this um, because I was a little bit late jumping on, but not enough time letting the hair down, I'll tell you that. And uh, another for another week, we are joined by former Brumbies player Lockie McCaffrey. Lockie, how are you going? How'd your team go on the weekend? Did they get the win? Hey, Britt. Um, thanks for having me again. No, unfortunately, after 78 minutes, um, the Whites just got up. And just a special mention to to Fiji and Queensland who got up in two nail biters in the Super W semi-final. So well done. Yes, we uh, will definitely be touching on Super W as we talk. But uh, the major talking point at the moment is the breaking news of Rugby Australia CEO Andy Marinos resigning just months out of the World Cup. Christy, you were the one of the first to break the news. How did this all come about? What's going on and how does this affect Rugby Australia going forward? Yeah, dramatic news um, breaking just after noon on Monday and, and there's already a fair bit of news going around with the AFL having a new CEO being appointed as well. But but on Rugby and Rugby Australia, look, this isn't something that's just happened overnight. Uh, yes, um, Andy Marinos uh, resigned in inverted commas uh, late last week, but you can read between the lines. Officially, he's resigned. Unofficially, he was certainly he 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 fell on his sword there. No no CEO resigns four months out from a World Cup, particularly when you look at Rugby Australia, where they've been in the last couple of years. They're slowly starting to find their feet. They're like a a baby that's starting to walk and then on to run. You know, the training wheels have come out off Rugby Australia and and you're the CEO who's apparently resigning right when you're at the start of what could be a great next 10 years with the so-called golden decade. Look, for quite a few months, there's been uh, differences, I would say, um, maybe not philosophical differences of what um, Stephen Larkham termed his departure from the Wallabies at the end of or the start of, of 2019. But... But there was uh, probably a slight clash uh, ideas around Eddie Jones. When when should Eddie Jones come on board? When should you know should the Wallabies wear be wearing a white jersey at a World Cup? Um, Joseph Sualihi, should we be spending money on him? I, I, I just I think that there was um, a couple of different directions that people were going on, and that wasn't the same path. So he was steady, I think, Eddie Marinos and. I don't know what you think, Lockie, but Eddie uh, and Andy Marinos was a steady pair of hands, maybe a safe pair of hands, but Rugby Australia is in a bullish mood. They want to be leaders, not be reactive. And I think if we judge Andy Marinos around um, CEO at at Super Rugby, uh, which was often a bit of a thankless task when it's run by the governing bodies of the respective unions, really, and then you look at Rugby Australia over the last couple of years, Hamish McLennan has been pretty bullish regarding relationships, particularly with New Zealand rugby, super rugby deals. But I don't think enough was done by any Marinos to drive the importance of, of, of rugby across Australia, but also taking into new areas, bringing in places like Japan into the rugby championship. Way too reactive, I thought, in, in any of that kind of space. Japan made a quarterfinal in the 2019 World Cup, yet we heard from Andy Marinos for a couple of years that, you know, from a high-performance perspective, they weren't quite there yet. So I would have preferred to have seen a more front-foot approach from Andy, but, uh, yeah, he'll finish up in, in mid-June. Uh, Phil War is, is the is the favourite at the moment, but we all know lots of things can change uh, over, over coming weeks. Do you think it's a sense of uh, too many cooks in the kitchen? You've got Eddie Jones, Hamish McLennan, two very outward verbal uh, personalities, and 
Andy kind of faded into the background there, especially the last few months. You mentioned the Joseph Suwali'i signing. We've seen Hamish in the news constantly, almost with his comments towards Peter Volandis and the NRL. Is that kind of a feeling there of, of what's gone on? I yeah. think it's, sorry, I think it's, um, everyone knows that the next four to five years is crucial for, for rugby union in Australia. And it's like, it's, it's not panic stations, but it's almost like, you know, now is the time to get a powerhouse of personnel and personalities in place to set us up for success over the next four to five years. And, and that's what it looks like from the outside. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And, and one that I'll, I'll pick up there, Britt, is that over the festive period, Ernie Marinos was away for six weeks and I reached out to Rugby Australia at the time asking where Andy was, why was he away, and I was told that he was had his email on, look, out of range, um, it will be very difficult to kind of get on to me, um, and, you know, back on X date, which was late January. You think about what was going on ahead of a World Cup year. You had a, a contracting model that was completely in flux, players unable to get re-signed. A lot of key wallabies had to get pushed further down the road. Not a great thing for a World Cup year. You had a high-performance committee and a panel uh, review on the on the previous year, which was incredibly underwhelming in 2022 from a win-loss perspective, the amount of injuries that were going on. Uh, you had a CEO for five, six weeks away. Um, you think about private equity that was... You know, we've been speaking about for two years now, which was getting closer and closer. This is a huge decision on what could influence uh, the the direction of Australian rugby over uh, not just the foreseeable future, but could potentially be the the make or break moment if you get a couple of hundred million dollars that powers the game. Uh, we know that Eddie Jones came, returned, parachuted into the role. Dave Rennie sensationally booted out. And Andy Marinos was overseas and this was done over Zoom. There were a lot of things that didn't stack up and didn't look good, didn't reflect well on Andy there when it was such a crucial period. And I know that there was COVID and you can't travel as much. And I know that he had previously been in the role of Super Rugby CEO, but it was an odd look for a person of such standing to disappear basically off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Lockie, as a player, when you see these things come out, you know, partway through the Super Rugby season, World Cup's coming up and these these things happen, does this play on your mind at all? Is this something that distracts you? Is Does it cause any issues? Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's important to know that, you know, all players want a level of certainty moving forward. Um, so if that's questions around private equity, um, questions around staff, personnel, whatever it is, you know, that detracts from from the likelihood of, of keeping top personnel and top players. So I think it is really important, um, whoever they, they get to recruit, you know, replace Andy, that they're here for that longevity of the next four to five years within Australian rugby. Um, you get these key personnel to stick for the next four to five years. And it gives us the best chance of ticking all the boxes and taking all the next opportunities that we're, that we're going to get presented with the British and Irish Lions and then the Home World Cup. And it is interesting if you, if you look at it from an outside perspective, uh, in his tenure, the, the uh, two Home World Cups, 27 and 29, have been secured. We've got the 25 Lions Tour, which he was also a part of bringing it together and he, and he came in during COVID when we're in a state of flux, everything was up in the air and Raylene had, I guess, fallen on the sword as well, was a very unliked character in the end. For Marinos, is he going to leave on a better note? Are people going to look back at him and, and think that he did the right, he was the right man for the job, he did what he needed to do and he now is leaving perhaps at the right time? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think history will probably, we won't know until the next couple of years about how Andy Marinos has looked at because of some of the key decisions that have been made under his watch, and that is Eddie Jones, that is, um, uh, and uh, crucially it's Eddie Jones, but also players like Joseph Suwali that have come on as well. So 
it'll be interesting to see how he is remembered for the sh- for a short term. I wonder how many people that aren't hardcore rugby fans actually know who Andy Marinos is. That's probably how I think a lot of people will remember him. Is he someone that really people remember? Or did they remember the saga before COVID with Rayleigh Castle? Oh, I think he'll be a footnote really at the moment, but he was certainly a safe pair of hands. I think he studied the ship. For that, he, he should be credited with. Um, I just don't know if he was the right person to really seize the momentum that Australian rugby is trying to get and starting to get to, to take it forward. Mm. And it's definitely inter- interesting. Last week, they the RA made the announcement after their AGM that they were actually in surplus, $8 million. They bounced back from a, a huge deficit. And Hamish McLennan made the comments that it was, it was partly to do with uh, the strong leadership team. So it it is interesting timing that this has all come about. Uh, Chrissy, you mentioned Phil War is is one name that's been thrown up. Lockie, do you have any others? Todd Greenberg, former NRL CEO, has also been thrown up in conversations. Lockie, do you have any any other names that you'd wish to throw out there? No, I'll probably let Christy answer this one. Um, I think there's a huge amount of talent out there that would be great for the job. Um, you know, people that have played a high level of rugby and have that rugby insight, but also huge, huge business experience. Guys like Joe Roth um, down here in Canberra, obviously. Um, people like Phil Ward, Joe, people that have done well at both in the rugby world and the business world, I'm sure will be putting their hand up. Yeah, it's... It is an interesting one because for a long time, Australian rugby fans, followers have asked the question, do you want someone who has a rugby background or do you not? Because do we get caught up with thinking that it is so intricate, the pathways and the structures that you've got to have a deep-seated knowledge about Australian rugby? Because in the ecosystem, it's very different to the NRL, heavily an Australian game, not really a global game. Uh, as such, certainly that's the case with the AFL, um, and it's and it's different to the A League, where a lot of the players and the football, where a lot of the players play overseas. Some of the same issues and obstacles, of course, we've seen David Gallup switch between rugby league, the NRL, to the A League. Um, did he do a great job with the A League? I think he's probably his kind of history and legacy is probably not not. Um, particularly favourable when looking back at his time with soccer, even though he had his moments. Um, I I think Phil Kearns, I know a lot of people will rule him out because they'll see him as this guy that just supported the Waratahs and and that's about it and and maybe was a bit of a relic from a past year gone by. I wonder whether or not he comes back into the reckoning. Yes, he's... He missed out, and and that's one of the things that he'll have to really consider whether or not he decides to put his hat in the ring. He's doing well from a business perspective. He's turned around companies. He's um, he's known globally, and I don't think he's just not known. He's not just known as a rugby person either. He's known across the Australian sporting landscape too. A guy with real gravitas. I I would be comfortable if he if he threw his hat in the ring. I think he should have got it back in twenty nineteen. Um, Contro- sorry, in 2018, he controversially was was missed out to to Rayland Castle at the time when she took over from Bill Pulver. But it's a crucial decision because they've got to get it right. There are so many big things on the horizon, including the rise of women's sport um, and, and women's rugby, and we're seeing it all the time. 58,000 turned up at Twickenham on the weekend. We can't understate that. And, and you think about who was the the audience that we can get back in. And yes, we've seen at times the Australian women's seven side. We need to see the Wallaroos now start to shine as well. And and someone who can be able to put those pieces of the puzzle together uh, will be very crucial. But it's it is a board thing at the moment as well. It's not just a it's not just one person. Um but it's a fascinating oh I believe that they want to have a decision done made sooner rather than later. This isn't going to drag out for months and months. I get the feeling by early June, we'll know who the next Australian CEO is, Rugby Australia CEO. Mm. I think it's important, um, Christy, that the, the the new coming CEO is passionate about rugby union and has a background in it because there's pros and cons, but I think it's you can't sell passion as a leader. 
And I think having that having that person to look to that's passionate about the Wallaroos, passionate about a Rugby World Cup at home, passionate and has a has a presence in the Northern Hemisphere around the British and Irish Lions coming out. I think that's you know really important for um, you know leadership uh, within Rugby Australia moving forward. Mm. And Chrissy and Lockie, you just touched on the Wallaroos, and that was another part of. Andy's work over the last few years, he he did start, uh, I guess, kick off the momentum towards Wallaroos becoming a fully uh, professional environment, which he's always banged on. He wants it to be by 2025, the next World Cup. Um, I have sent a few feelers out, you know, what's happening now in the women's space, especially towards Super W and and the the wish to go trans-Tasman for next year. And it's just, I guess, going to uh, who comes in next? Do they they build? Do they grab it with two hands and, and take it even further? And and we're just going to have to wait and see who takes on that role. And uh, for me, as a woman, plays rugby myself, grew up watching rugby, uh, and had seen what has what has been built through the women's sevens program and the Wallaroos. Now it's just such a huge and important part of our game, and it's been something that has been missed for so long falling back on just the sevens program isn't good enough anymore we need to make our wallaroos our 15s program as good and competing against not just new zealand but the northern hemisphere teams england and france and and for me that's a, a hugely important part going forward um so i guess off the back of that we we should dive into what just happened over the weekend in the super w tournament the, the boys the the super rugby pacific can wait We'll talk about the women this week. Uh, as you mentioned, Christy, uh, Six Nations was played over the weekend and England got up over France in, in a really um, great spectacle of rugby. And it was in front of 58,000 people, essentially sold out Twickenham Stadium, which I think for a lot of people years ago, you, you could not believe anything like that would ever happen it comes off the back of last year's Women's World Cup in New Zealand where we saw over 100,000 people come to the stadiums, flock into the stadiums, a sold-out Eden Park for two games, including the opening game against the Wallaroos and then the grand final. Super W semi-final over the weekend, two really highly entertaining games. The women's game is just going from uh, force to force. And, and I guess at the end of the day, it's just a really exciting thing to see. And, and Chrissy, I'm sure you got to watch some of the games on the weekend, the the Tars going down to Fijiana Drua and then the Reds just pulling up above the Brumbies. Just how good is it to see the women's game taking shape? Well, I think the, the most impressive thing on the weekend was there was highlights to be seen. We, we saw a couple of runaway tries. We saw close contests, but that was the crucial thing. We saw two compelling matches. Uh, we, we've seen often Super Rugby over the years, particularly recent years, that it's been one-sided uh, contests that have this real predictability about what way the game's going to go. We saw on the weekend a, a New South Wales side, and you've, you've covered it well throughout the year about a different makeup of the squad, um, you know, key players leaving. But we saw a Waratah side that was, I wouldn't say flying, but going very well throughout the regular season, who then, what were they? They were 17 new up through about 19 minutes or so, 20 minutes. And then all of a sudden, the Drua come back where, you know, we've seen how resilient they are. They showed their resilience last year to come to win uh and down in down in melbourne but that to me was just a great um product something where you could see it on the line it wasn't necessarily high scoring it was physical there was um there there was just passion on display there there was it wasn't a huge crowd over at concord stadium but concord ground but but it was enough to feel the feeling in there and then and it wasn't just the the first game that lived up to the Bills, the second one as well. That was competitive right the way through. And we saw a couple of different styles of rugby. The Brumbies keeping it much tighter, more physical, bigger pack. And yes, they fell just short in the line, but a couple of great tries. And, and we saw genuine speed, um, young women coming through with a really good product. And it builds and sets up nicely with Queensland qualifying with the final this weekend. 
um, at, at North Queensland at Townsville against Fijiana. Probably the, the warmer conditions might help the visitors there, but sets it up beautifully that there's a Queensland side that's going to host the match, play in the final against against the Drawer, obviously going for back-to-back tournaments. It, and it adds something different as well. I've chatted to the Waratahs coach over the years of just everything that's been going on, and they had the the run of the comp for so long undefeated until last year they lost their first game against the Drawer and then they lost the final and this year they were unbeaten until this weekend and and he's always been a, a big proponent that he wants teams to compete against the Tars and as much as he would be absolutely devastated that his team got knocked out in the semi the same time I think he'd be pretty happy that they're getting they're getting in these competitive matches they're not running away with it they were they had to fight until the final minute and unfortunately they, they didn't get there. And I think it's good to remember as well, a news story out last week that the Drua were relying on fans to feed them last weekend. The Fiji rugby are in a, a bit of a financial state at the moment and uh, couldn't afford to pay for their meals. And the local Brisbane Fijian community were the ones feeding them last weekend. So for them to come out, as you said, from 17-0 down and come out and, and win that game. You could see the feeling in the end, the way they were um, hugging and congratulating each other. It's a, it's a massive effort. And to be in a final again, and it's a different squad makeup from last year. I, I kind of wrote them off a few weeks ago. I didn't think they had the chance. And and now they head to a final. Um, and as you said, the Reds at home, it's it's going to be a huge, um, huge game. And I, I just hope a lot of locals buy into it and, and head down and, um, and I'm sure we'll see a huge, a huge game. Lockie, do you have any thoughts? I know the Brumbies unfortunately went down, but uh, I did enjoy watching some of it. And they, they did the classic Brumby style of play, the line out mall and, and driving over the line a few times. Yeah, those first two more tries they scored um, were incredible. And then I'm never one to to um, talk about refereeing, but I thought that last tackle for that hide tackle was a little bit tough around the chest. So didn't know those new world rugby tackling laws had come into effect already. Um, but just congrats to all four teams, like two cracking games, both went down at 80 minutes. Um, I think the ball movement, the quality of set piece, some individual brilliance, especially from the, the Drew and Brisbane, uh, uh, Queensland got them over the line. So um, yeah, just, just two cracking games. Um, and that's that's what we want with with the you know Super W competition at the moment. It's uh, over the last two years, it's improved so much. Um, that quality is there now to see across all teams. And um, yeah, good luck to to Queensland and Fiji this weekend. Mm. And uh, as a father of, I believe you've got some daughters. When you see women's rugby and where it's going. Do you are you excited for the potential of, of what your daughters could do in the future if they chose to pick up a rugby ball? Yeah, I start every day and finish every day throwing a little rugby ball to my two girls. So um, I've I've always been a massive fan of the the women's sevens team. Um, watching girls like Charlotte Kaslik, Alicia Quirk um, play, like I, I I love watching that sevens team play over the last five to ten years. Now, obviously, with the with more investment um, into the the fifteens game and watching the semis over the weekend, I was so impressed. Um, as I said, some of the skill level and the set piece was was unreal to see, and I um yeah, I can't wait to go and coach my my daughters on a on a Saturday, definitely. Mm. And it, it's just exciting to see so many young girls step out. Uh, we've mentioned Caitlin Holson in, in the the Waratahs team, just sixteen years old, and and there's a few of them smattered around the competition, these young girls who are stepping up in these professional, well, semi-professional environments, it's, 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 it's a great look for women's rugby, knowing that if we keep these girls in, in rugby in Australia, uh, we've got a, a very bright future ahead, especially with a home world cup in, in 2029. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think some of it's the unknown, Britt. I don't think people would realize the popularity and the crowd attendance in the Northern Hemisphere Six Nations games with, with the women's game. So I'd love to see some of those games viewed on um, Stan. I'm not sure, I don't think they are when I've checked uh, recently, but I think 
um, areas of the women's game, sometimes it's not that people don't want to watch it. It's just they don't have the opportunity to, to watch it. And, uh, you know, watching some of the, the Six Nations highlights of the women's games and the crowds over there and obviously the semifinals on the weekend, it's, it's growing and growing so rapidly. And the more our broadcasters can get behind it to give, you know, passionate rugby supporters the opportunity to watch it and see the amazing skill level, you know, uh, it'll, it'll only keep growing that quickly. Mm. I was, was going to add just before we finish up there, I, I think it is important to draw attention that, yes, this, these are four, two great games between four sides that have been the most consistent for a, a wee while now. But we, we've got to see, and I've brought this up with Julie Collins, uh, um, who's the Rugby Shire women's high-performance kind of manager there, and, and she agrees that the base has to be widened. There needs to be more um, pathways going into right across the board, not just the Waratahs of Queensland. They need to grow the game to have a bigger base so that there's more players coming through, and that involves quality coaching too. We need more coaches. And, yes, if, if there's female coaches, great, um, but we need more better coaching for the younger women coming through to grow the base because that's the only way you're going to get more depth, particularly at size like the Force and the Rebels where maybe the competitions don't have as much to support and you've got to be tested against more and more. And it's the same issues that the men have faced too. We always talk about can Australian rugby support five super rugby sides. There is a question whether or not the women's game too, but there's no doubt that there is a lot of people in Australia and if you can get your pathways growing, then you know that's the opportunity there. So hopefully we don't grow too quickly, too fast, but I think we need to make sure that we prioritise building the base before we, we go much further. Mm, definitely. And we saw, we saw that with the uh, Sevens, the University Sevens competition. It started quite big, quite broad, and now it's been shrunk right down with only New South Wales, Queensland and a Barbarians team that were playing out over the last few months. And I don't think that even gained much traction. Not many people were aware that competition was even, it was even going on, unfortunately. Um, but let's turn our attention to Super Rugby Pacific and the culture round that just played out. Lockie and I had a chat before you joined, Chrissy, about just how entertaining it was to see uh, especially the the Blues, Fiji, Fiji and Drua game and the the Haka and the Bowl before, beforehand. And every game there was a the Haka or in the case at Sydney, there was a welcome to country. And for myself, I find that so entertaining. I don't know about you guys, but I love it. Oh, I think it's good touches. And I, I think Lockie, you know, he's got a great relationship with Alan Al or I think he could probably talk about it even, even better. But... You know, I think we need to embrace our cultures. We know how big the Pacifica culture is, particularly in Australian rugby, New Zealand rugby. You know, there's no reason, like more needs to be done, firstly, to shine a spotlight on things like culture round. Because, you know, the, the on the same day that the Waratahs are trying to get coverage around Dylan Peach designing the Waratahs kit, Rugby Australia is dropping the John Eels medal on them. Like, you know, the, the New South Wales, and I know that other Super Rugby franchises only found it out secondhand that they were dropping the John Eels medal on the last Monday. You know, that's just a shambolic from the different marketing people within the organisations not to get on the same page. But more needs to be done because we see the NRL do it brilliantly um, with their respective cultural rounds um, uh, you know, just recently the gather around more needs to be done to shine a spotlight on these sorts of things. And unfortunately, I don't think earlier in the week enough was really done to be able to kind of go, this is what's happening. These are the stories behind it. And these are the figures in it. Yeah, definitely. And it's one thing I, I wrote a column today. And one thing I pointed out is no other sporting event in the world would you see apart from in rugby, would you see a Haka and a Bole going off at the same time and just the screams and the noise from the crowd and just the excitement. It was great to watch on TV and I'm sure in the crowd, it just, if you were there in person, it would have been even more exciting. Um, but if we we move on, obviously it's, it's something that they should be working on more and it's something that we should really be drawing on. We're Super Rugby Pacific and we have so many cultures that we 
we need to represent. But we move on. And obviously the, the game of the round was Chiefs Crusaders in Waikato. And God, didn't that just live up to the hype? We were expecting a, a highly entertaining game. And that is exactly what we got. Damian McKenzie just played it so well. And, and all the Chiefs players really stood up. But also at the same time, the Crusaders, they must have come away from that that first half thinking they should have had a lot more points on the board and two disallowed tries, which I'm, I'm sure they would have uh, been very upset with Angus Gardner and his decision there. But that game was just so entertaining. I don't know what your thoughts are on it, guys, but I was I was glued to the TV watching it. It's like the it's like the Batman and Robin show up there at Hamilton at the moment. Clayton McMillan, the head coach, and Damian McKenzie uh, working their magic together up there. I think um, another another point up there is the uh, the crowd on the on the weekend. I think it was nearly sold out, and compared to a lot of the crowds within New Zealand and Australia at the moment, um, I hope they get a home semi and a home final. To be honest, because what you want to see is is packed out stadiums, and, and the Chiefs are doing that that week in, week out. So congrats to them. The way they're playing is just special to watch. Um, McMillan's got them firing. And, um, yeah, McKenzie, if he keeps playing like he is, they're going to be um, hard to stop. Mm. What, do you, what do you think of their pack, Lockie? Is that, is that a bit of a point of difference at the moment, you think? like They've got probably the, the best hooker in the world at the moment or certainly the best emerging hooker, I'd say, with Toki Yahoo. But... When you've got guys like Tupo Vahe and Brody Retallick, and then that back row is just so well balanced, it looks. It is, mate. It's I think you nailed it in that in that word just saying balance. It's such a balanced forward pack, mate. The the level of physicality and athleticism, but also some brains and skill, they're uh they're they're really hard to stop. Uh, and you, you look at the way they play, that they, they don't really have a weakness. Um so yeah, mate. As, as long as they're playing at home, which which starts getting crucial with their lead at the top of the ladder at the moment. Um, I know they've got to come to Canberra to, to play the Brumbies who are in second place. But if they can get to a big enough lead um, in front of the Brums at that top of the ladder, they can almost secure themselves a, a home semi and a home final if they keep winning. But it should be noted that Damian McKenzie did just sign on to New Zealand rugby for another few years, which is a, a massive win for New Zealand rugby. With the loss of Bowden Barrett and Richie Moanga leaving at the end of this year, uh, Chrissy, your thoughts there, just how important that signing was? Oh, huge. And uh, look, it would have been a, a real colossal blow had he left because if you look at the three tens that have been pretty prominent over the last five years since Dan Carter retired and it's been Bowden Barrett, Richie Moanga, and then they've had drips and drabs from from Damian McKenzie, be it either 10, fullback, occasionally on the wing, but he's been a, a constant kind of figure on the bench. The, the thing that is interesting about McKenzie, he's 28, so he's, he's still going to be at the top of his game for the next few years, but he relies on speed. Um, he's, he's so elusive. I don't know if he's the general that a Moanga is, or he's an out-and-out general. You've got Bowden Barrett who can kind of do both roles. I reckon the Wallabies, if they're coming up against a McKenzie at 10, would still feel confident but that, that, that they can not just get on top of him but can disrupt him because he is at times an individual kind of player. That's how he plays a lot of his rugby is that he plays off the cuff, sees what he, um, plays what's in front of him, but there's not many tougher tens or not many tougher backs. He just punches and plays so far above his weight. What's it like, Lockie, when you've got a ten like that who just throws their body into everything? And we're seeing a bit of it with with uh, Carter Gordon emerging at the Rebels as well. Yeah, it's so exciting to see, and he does. He's tough as nails, isn't he? I think what I'm interested to see. Uh, and he's a 10 out of 10 player, but it's a difference between super rugby and international rugby because, you know, you can get away with just toughness at, at super rugby level, but then you go to international level and you've got big Northern Hemisphere packs coming down your channel. And if they're creating momentum and gain line, you, it's really hard to stop. Um, and that's not through experience. Obviously, I don't want to preach, but just watching a lot of international footy and Northern Hemisphere rugby, um, that would be my one concern or question still having him at 10 in, in the World Cup is 
is purely on that um, 10 channel defensively and 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 can he stop those uh, Irish, English uh, forward packs, French forward packs coming down his channel? You mentioned that they the Brumbies are hosting the Chiefs in the penultimate round. If you're the, the Brumbies, are you feeling pretty confident that you can knock them off? Uh, the Brumbies at home are one of those teams that they just managed to get the, the job done. Uh, would they be feeling confident that they could be the team that could defeat the Chiefs and then, uh, you know, potentially in the finals go over across the, the Tasman and do it again? Yeah, I... Um... I don't think many teams, if any, come to Canberra in in June and beat the Brumbies. Um, and that's why it's so important for them at the moment to to stay within four points of, of the Chiefs on the top because um, having a home semi and a home final for the Brumbies, I think, is just as important as having, you know, your top 15 players on the field at, at that time of the season. But even if they beat the Chiefs and if they're too far ahead, they're still going to have to go over across the ditch to, to play a grand final, which, which is obviously doable, um, but makes it a lot harder. Mm. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Britt, it was 10 years ago that the Brumbies had to go across the ditch to play the Chiefs in, t- in 2013. And that was probably the year that they should have won. They needed to win that. Didn't host the final. Chiefs did. Great crowd, boyish crowd. Dave Rennie's has a second one in a row. But you know, you look at how they're playing at the moment and against the Hurricanes, they their, their exits were poor in the first half. You know, Nick White kicks out in the full after the first try. Um, they, they, you know, they struggled again soon after. Even uh, in the second half when, when, they, when they come back within about three or four points, three points, I think it was, Ryan Lonigan twice really has just come on the field, really slow delivering the ball back to Jack Debrusini. And look, I'm not a 10, but if I'm a 10, I'm probably wanting the ball sooner rather than later. So I have to wait for, for an eternity, two rucks in a row, knowing that I'm going to have to make sure that I get this into touch. Looks up, drops the ball. That just killed the momentum. So they take those couple of things out of their game. And I think if they, you know, we saw a couple of dubious calls there by, James Dolman, the, the referee, I don't know how that throw is not caught straight. I don't know how the scrum's not brought back for for um, Luke Reimer being held. Yes, Tom Wright probably could have potentially been shown a yellow card for no, no arms in a tackle, uh, bringing down, a. Uh, I think it might have been a moor around mm. the 22-metre line. But but at the same time, that's a different instance to a, a, a moment that directly leads to a try. So couple of things that didn't go their way, but that's what happens when you're playing across the ditch and you're not playing on home soil. So that's the importance of finishing this regular season so so well. And I, th- I think hopefully it was a loss they needed, Christy, um, because now they've got um, some games they should win. They've got obviously the Rebels twice. They've got the Force. Um, I think they've still got the Highlanders and then the Chiefs at home. So um, I think to get a home uh, grand final guaranteed or finish first on the ladder, they've got to go unbeaten now and get a few bonus points in there too. So, which to me, looking at their draw is definitely doable, but um, yeah, not if they play the same as they did in Wellington. Mm. Well, I mean, you've got to shout out to that Nick Frost try though, at least. <laughs> it was entertaining to watch. Everyone loves to see a lock in space, surely. Yeah, yeah, mind you, I reckon the thing that Laurie Fisher is pointing out to him is his missed tackle uh, shortly after on Amua um, probably goes too high, probably was caught just behind the eight ball, not thinking that they were going to do that 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 short throw. But uh, Frosty, we know he's got good wheels, probably the most athletic lock that we've seen for a long time, maybe since John Eels, but the sky's the limit for him. Um We've got some good second rollers coming through. He's certainly going to feature at the World Cup. Yeah. You don't miss much, Christy, mate. And I think, um, you know, his athleticism is second and none. But to to get into that category of top locks in the world, it is his physical stuff. We've seen Robbie Valentini do it the last 24 months, and, and now he's he's one of the best sixes in the world. From, for Foster to go from just a super athletic young lock to, you know, one of those top locks you talk about in the world, it's definitely around his physical stuff. A last point, because we're talking about second rollers, shout out to Sam Whitelock. He looks like he's going to France at the end of the year um, after the World Cup will stick on there. Oh, Lockie, I don't know about you, but 
doesn't this go to show? I, I reckon he's the most, um, maybe not underrated because he's certainly not that, but when you think about the legends of New Zealand rugby in the last 10, 15 years, I would have Whitelock right up there. He is, uh, I asked Justin Harrison and Sonny Bill Williams a couple of months ago, who would you have, Retallick or Whitelock? And they both said Whitelock. And it, it probably goes to show his set piece, prowess, how consistent he is, never makes a mistake. Um, he is he is the, the the prototype lock. I reckon amazing figure for the game. But also, what's wrong with him? He's going to France. He's signing up to to play for nine ten months of the year. Going to France where it's going to be cold in the winter. He could go to Japan and play like Retallick up there recently. Mate, he's he's Kiwi. He's Kiwi, mate. They love rugby. They don't like holidays. They just play rugby every week. They love it. <laughs> but I, I, one. The best way to judge um, Whitelock is if, if you played the most important games for the Crusaders and the All Blacks over the last four years, if you pick the 10 most important games over the last four years, he's probably been the best player on the field. And, and that, to me, is a quality of the best players is when it comes down to a semi-final, a grand final, or, or you know, international versus South Africa or the Wallabies in a Bledisloe, Whitelock, you can pencil in straight away top three players on the field. Um, well, the other game of the round, oh, well, I should say the game of the round coming up this weekend would most likely, I would think most people would say the Waratahs and the Reds in Queensland. It's in Townsville. It's going to be a hot one, as we mentioned earlier. Um, the Waratahs just escaped with a one-point win over the Highlanders and uh, as someone sitting in the crowd, it was a frustrating watch, that was for sure. The Reds managed to win, uh, I wouldn't say comfortably, but they, it was a strong win over the force on the weekend. Ben Donaldson from the Waratahs still yet to you know, find his groove, his rhythm, and he's looking pretty low on confidence. Chrissy, what are you making of this matchup? Do the Waratahs have what it takes to spring a surprise in Townsville, or are the Reds just too good? Well, it's a big game because it's sixth and seventh, and and you want to obviously climb as high as you can. I think we've seen we've got the top five probably almost set in stone, unless there was going to be a really like a, a Blues fall and a heap, but you can't see that happening given the class they have. I think it's just important for momentum. Momentum, if you're going to have a crack at the finals, you've got to start a bit of a winning run. And 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 who who's more likely to go further? I'm not sure. Potentially, the Reds have got a, a pretty hot back line there. Um, you know, they might get Hunter Paisami back towards the back end of, of the Super Rugby season, uh, the regular season. But I, I'm looking forward to seeing Mick Wright against Hooper, you know, that's the battle, I think. I think McWright's been, Australia's, along with Valentini, been the most consistent Australian player this year, um, gets on the ball, a uh, constant threat, um, and, he, and he's up against a Hooper who's clearly starting to find his form, find a bit of rhythm. Um, I think there's a bit of frustration. You almost saw that frustration with Hooper on the weekend when he found that 50-22. He just kicked the ball away going, no, Leave it to me. I'm going to do this. Um, that, that's the big one. And, and I think Hooper's still the first choice seven under Eddie Jones. But but McWright's the sort of guy, he's, you know, 23, 24, been around the international game for a couple of years. He's the guy. Um, if, if I'm tossing a coin who's winning, I think the Waratahs can, but they've got to play a hell of a lot better because, as you mentioned, that second half, that was dreadful against the Highlanders. It's really poor. It's a big moment for Ben Donaldson, who's got to start showing something. Um, and if the Reds are to win, it's in the tight five. They've got to make sure that they do another job on the, on the Waratahs in a similar way that they did on the Western Force, who were missing their front row trio of Tom Robertson, Santiago Madrano, and, and Falao Fyinga. That was a huge... Uh, that trio was a massive blow because they just got absolutely rinsed in the scrum and they had nothing. They couldn't play any territory as a result. And had those matchups, Christy, I think Langy Gleeson versus Harry Wilson around getting over game line oh, yeah. and momentum will be huge. And then Jake Gordon versus Tate McDermott, I'm really interested in because they're normally a you know a, a key to those two teams playing well or winning in, in terms of taking opportunities and controlling the game. So to me, I'm really excited about those two matchups. Gleeson versus Wilson, they'll just be trying to run over each other all game. And then Gordon versus McDerm McDermott. 
what, yeah, what about that? The two headgears, Lange against Harry Wilson. What do you, you know, Harry, Harry Wilson's been, you know, we know that he's a lot of quantity about him, regularly carrying the ball. Lange Gleeson, 40 minutes returned after a long absence. His second touch of the game, he makes a 40, 40 metre break. He's been hitting that line all season and continues to make line breaks. Where do you, like, do you, you probably can't take both him and Harry Wilson to a World Cup. Um, you know, similar sorts of players, 33 players to a World Cup. You can't pick everyone. What do you like from both and what do you need to see this weekend? Yeah, I think Gleeson's um, game on the weekend versus the Highlanders, his involvements were probably the best I've actually seen coming back from injury. So um, I was really impressed with him. Harry Wilson, I thought, was pretty good on the weekend too. Some really good carries, but more importantly, just some a little bit of skill in his game close to the line, link up with Fraze for, for that try there. So um, to me, both, both are tough, both love carrying, but it's the other areas of their game. It's their linkage of six or eight. It's their double involvements. It's their support play. It's their reading the game that I think will get them over the line in terms of that spot in the World Cup squad. Um, you know, we've we've already got a bloke called Robbie Valentini that that can run over blokes. It's it's that other six or eight that can add a little bit of X factor. Um, you know, they can obviously get over the the gain line, but more importantly, they can link, look for opportunities, and they're that support back row with with outside backs. One one thing I'll just raise before we move on from back rows because you know that takes a certain person to love, but. Tom Hooper is not too far away from coming back from the for the Brumbies. Um, a chance this weekend, from what I'm told, but he's a guy that last year was was shaping up to be a Wallaby potentially on the end of season spring tour. An injury then, an injury just before the season started in 2023. But he's a guy that, if you're thinking about a balance of a back row, he's a guy that you start thinking oh, he's a he's a tasty proposition. Yeah, mate, he's a uh... Uh, he's got huge reviews down here in, in Canberra, loves his footy. Um, I did a bit of work with him a few months ago and he's, for a young kid, has a huge rugby IQ also. Um, comes across as a pretty just blokey bloke, but really smart rugby player. Obviously has that athleticism like like Frosty um, and he's going to pull on a gold jersey at some point over the next year or two. And you, and you mentioned the, the Tate McDermott, uh, Jake Gordon, battle that's going to go on. Tate has obviously taken his game to another level uh, ever since he he missed out on that Wallaby squad. He He's really taken on those messages from Eddie Jones and he's taken a step up. His game on the weekend, uh, setting up two tries for Fraser McWright. He's that sniping player off the back. He he finds those gaps. And uh, from watching Jake Gordon re- recently, I, I don't think he is quite as uh, I wouldn't say as impressive, but I don't think he's made his mark on the game he would have liked to this year. I don't know, Christy, what are you seeing there? Are you, for me watching it, I'm seeing Tate McDermott's just really made a mark. And if Eddie hasn't been watching, he's he's missing out. I think they're oh. different style of players. Um, sorry, Christy. I like Tate McDermott. You can put a highlights package of him week in, week out. Gordon, obviously, the leadership staff, the control, the experience, uh, his, his grunt, his defence at nine. Um, I don't think you can overlook that stuff. To me, whoever plays better, those two, they win the game. And it also, to me personally, it's that third halfback spot maybe for the Rugby World Cup squad. To me, you've you've got Nick White, you've got Ryan Lonergan, and then the third spot is up for grabs between Gordon and McDermott. Yeah, look, I don't think... Um... I did ask one person to value about Taroa Kerbala. We know he's eligible. He's he, It'd be ludicrous for him to come back in, but I'll tell you what, he's playing some very good rugby for La Rochelle at the moment. But it's it's an interesting one, and it could be shaped by how both the Waratahs and the Reds finish in the back end of the year. I think that Jake Gordon's probably overplayed his hand this year. Um I don't think he's being helped by a 10 who's lacking confidence, who's not who's not demanding the ball nearly enough. Um, the, the fact of the matter is that the Waratahs have had a pretty stable 12-13 axis. That's a big thing for a 10. He's had a nine inside him as well. Um, 
So there shouldn't be any complaints about a, a continuity thing there. I, I just reckon Gordon's overplaying his hand. Um, and what we like about McDermott is his support play snipes. He's doing a lot of that at the moment, but he needs to get his core real, roles better. And that includes his box kick because it's not nearly well, good enough. We saw in the first month his kicking game really, really struggle. But a, a really poignant thing that, that Eddie spoke about today when he spoke to journos at the MCG uh, was that you don't just get picked for the Wallabies by playing one good game. It's multiple games. So we need to see that. It's not training form. I hated the idea that players were getting selected on training form, which is what was being spoken about in previous years. It's about on-field performances and it's about results. This is a results-driven industry. It's not about whether or not you can put a, a nice little grubber in behind at a training session against a passive defence. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's a, a massive round coming up and uh, plenty to watch. But another cheeky little question for you, Chrissy. I'm not sure if you, you mentioned or you saw over the weekend, but uh, La Rochelle, the Champions Cup played out. La Rochelle got over, uh, uh, got the win, and big Aussie Will Skelton was involved in that game. And, and Eddie Jones has made comments about getting him back and fit for the Wallabies. Has he done enough in his performances in France to warrant a call-up? Is he, I mean, he's Absolutely, always- Brit. I'll shut you off. Absolutely. He, I don't, Lockie would be the better person to speak to about this, but from a, from a, a buy-in perspective, Will Skelton wants to play for the Wallabies. Um, uh, Samu Karevi is now back on track. There was a bit of, there were rumours floating about, about how Eddie saw him about mind games, about his contract status. Eddie spoke to Samu recently. Samu's keen. He's he's signed up. That to be confirmed, uh, that was written uh, next to his name is is now done with. The, the other thing is, They've got this new more defence coach that's going to be coming in. He's been previously at Cast, um, and and we'll see his announcement pretty shortly. I'm surprised it hasn't been announced already, but I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. Pierre Henry Bronken, previously at Cast, he told me recently that he'll be trying to get Will Skelton and Richie Arnold in his suitcase and his extra baggage when he comes to Australia next month. You'd be getting him in a heartbeat, Will Skelton. With the with eight or ten weeks of preparation, he'll be an infinitely more effective player for the Wallabies than being parachuted in in between club rounds uh, for a spring tour. He'll make a massive, massive difference, I would think. Yeah, mate. If he doesn't fit in his extra baggage, I'll um I'll pay for his flights back and and Richie Arnold because. Um, you know, the next six months is huge for Australian rugby. Richie obviously played in the other semi-final. They went down to Leinster, who are, who are pretty much almost impossible to beat at the moment. Will uh, played on the weekend last night and, and beat Exeter. So, you know, two Australians playing at the at the highest level of rugby over in Europe. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm excited to see him in an Australian squad this year. Lockie as well, another... I'm sure you would have played alongside or or known a bit more about Richie Arnold than some people. Tell us about a bit about him, but also Scotty CO featured last night too. He's a guy that is a quality loose head with more than 50 tests experience. Surely you're strongly considering a Scotty CO to, um, you know, particularly if there's still question marks around Angus Bell. Yeah, I agree, mate. It's a really good point. I should have mentioned Scotty because he, he played really well yesterday and he's, He's played some really good footy over the last three months, um, especially up front in the set piece for Exeter. So, um, mate, I'd be bringing more back. Like they're, they're, they're top quality players that that we're not using. It, it just makes no sense to me. Richie Arnold' um, skill set was always uh, incredible for a, for a lock. He's got a really nice set of hands. He reads the game really well. And I think he's gone over to Toulouse and he's built up that set piece and physical side of his game too that that his brother Rory always had. Um, so mate, what do you I, think, uh, what do you, what do you think he didn't stick around to the Brumbies or was shown as much love as as his brother Rory? 
Mate, we had we had obviously that year. Um, he was only there for for a year. Um, we had Rory Arnold and Sam Carter, who was captain. So, you know, you've got you've got one of the best locks in the world in, in Rory Arnold, in my opinion. Then you've got the captain and, and a, you know a huge leader at the Brumbies at the time that played every week. So he didn't get the opportunity there. As you see, a lot of rugby players too, Christy. You know, they just don't get that opportunity. They go to another club and now he's starting um, for one of the best rugby teams in the world in Toulouse. So, yeah. um, you know, it wasn't a it wasn't that he wasn't performing or playing well. It was just he didn't get the opportunity over that over that super rugby season. And um, just like Mac Hansen now, uh, one of the one of the top rugby players playing around the world. So, um, mate, I uh, I can't speak highly enough of him, not just on the field, but off the field. He's a quality teammate, Richie. Um, he's honest. He's hardworking. Um, you know, he'd he'd had a lot um, of intel coming back also with with a World Cup in France, mate. Um, smart rugby player, and yeah, I um, I will get a GoFundMe after this podcast going and and start funding for um, a few of these boys to come back into the squad. I, I don't think it's just the on field stuff they bring back. It's the off field stuff. It's the experiences. It's seeing different ways rugby games are won, different um, methods of coaching over in the Northern Hemisphere. They bring that back and within a leadership group within the Wallabies and, and almost teaching some of these younger guys playing super rugby that haven't had the overseas experience, they just bring a huge amount of rugby IP and IQ back. And to me, mate, it's priceless. Chrissy, you always have your finger on the pulse. Uh, there's a lot of rumours that Eddie is pushing to expand the amount of overseas talent that he can that he can select. Is there any any whispers or words of what he he's after? Oh, look, the, we'll find out. Like in 2015, when Michael Checker dropped the big bombshell with the Giddo Law, that happened before the rugby championship, and it happened that way so that players could be brought in, not at the last second, but they could spend an extended time with the Wallabies. I see the exact same thing happening this year. You know, you do it too early and you, and excuse my language, you piss off every Super Rugby franchise who's trying their best to keep players at home and and try to convince them that you've got to play in Australia to be selected for the Wallabies. Um, Someone like a Richie Arnold's a fascinating one because he's not capped not capped by the Wallabies. So it would be a, a slight change in direction, but the fact that he's been already put on a training camp list, I know that Eddie's tried to walk it back recently by saying it wasn't a Wallabies training squad. It was. Um, he, he's a guy that has been selected for a reason. It's because he loves the meaty stuff in the middle, great around the more set piece. That kind of stuff is going to be so important in France. Um Later in the year, of course, the World Cup's going to be there. You need a Skelton. You need a. You need an Arnold. You need a, a Quade Cooper. A Marika Corabetti now a two-time John Eel medalist. Congratulations. Um, those sorts of things are so so important. And of course, the same with Karevi. So I can see him having carte blanche basically this year. Eddie Jones, that is, before it being you know really scaled back ahead of the Lions series um, for twenty-four. And he hasn't he hasn't played fifty caps, but I guess his support has been a, within Australia rugby. We've got to realise he's Australian, and he grew up dreaming about playing for the Wallabies. You know, he didn't get the opportunity here that he would have loved to. And the best thing about rugby union is the opportunities you can get worldwide, and he's done that for for different reasons. And the main one is to um, set up his family. So, um, yeah, I, I just think uh, it would be it would be amazing to see to see guys like Richie finally rewarded in a, in a gold jersey everyone goes everyone goes a different pathway um and not right or wrong they're just different and um he deserves it as much as anyone and and I think it's also important are the Wallabies more likely to make a semi-final to make the last week of the World Cup because of course the bronze medals match is played are they more likely to make the last week with five or six foreign players I think they are I think they certainly are. The fact that these guys like the Arnolds and the Skelts are playing big competition matches week in, week out for so long, uh, it shows the experience and how important they are in big, big footy. You know, it's a different mindset playing in finals footy. These guys are winners, and that's really important when you're putting them in a side that hasn't had nearly as much success as they would have wanted. Yeah, 
yeah, it's definitely something worth thinking about at the end of the day. Does Rugby Australia want to win a World Cup? And if they do, that could be the that's the that's the answer. It's it's looking at these guys who are playing so well overseas. Well, thank you again, Christy and Lockie, for joining us for another episode of ESPN Scrum Reset. I hope all of our listeners have enjoyed our chat this week. Uh, plenty of rugby ahead for the weekend, Super Rugby Pacific, and, of course, the Super W final up in Townsville. I hope all the Townsville locals get along to that one or for anyone else out of town, put that on your Stan watch list, or I think it may also be on nine gem this weekend so keep an eye out for that um chrissy Lockie, thank you and uh for everyone else keep your eye out on espn scrum for all your rugby uh needs